This podcast series is supported by members at Patreon. If you want to support this podcast series, head to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian Beer. You don't need fancy new equipment to run a brewery. With a bit of creativity and technical thinking, you can build just the right brew house for your needs. Welcome to the Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron, and I'm a Cascadian. I have a background in radio and television broadcasting. I'm a music producer, and I have a passion for beer. I don't consider myself an expert in beer by any means, but I do enjoy and respect the craft and the passion of these brewmasters. I want to learn from these pioneers and what sets them apart from the rest, and why they choose to call Cascadia their home. Cascadia is a bioregion in the Pacific Northwest on the North American continent. It is made up of the U.S. states of Washington and Oregon, as well as the Canadian province of British Columbia. In this podcast series, I profile the unique breweries of Cascadia, a region that has a strong presence on the international beer scene. If this is your first time here, welcome! And if you want to hear more from the Cascadian Beer Podcast, you can do so on our website at cascadian.beer or wherever you listen to podcasts. Alongside the Mount Baker Highway is a brewery you've probably passed many times without realizing it. The North Fork Beer Shrine opened their doors in 1997, and they started with a focus on traditional British ales. In recent years, they've become known for their sour beers as well. I sat down with their brewmaster to learn about the styles he's making and the technical creativity in their brewery. Eric Jorgensen. And what is your role here? I'm the brewer. <laughs> brewer. Um, do you own this facility at all? No, I don't. No. So I've worked here for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It'll be 20 years uh in February, so 19, actually. Right. What is the name of this beautiful spot out, out in the Mount Baker Highway? The North Fork Beer Shrine, mm-hmm. Pizzeria, Brewery, Wedding Chapel. <laughs> how, did, how did you guys start? I started after you, right at the end of year one, at about 14 months in. I started in the kitchen and uh, moved my way into the brewery. I took, took over all the responsibility in the brewery in June of 2000. All right. Getting the North Fork started took, they took two years to retrofit this building into something that was actually usable because it was a mess before that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, building the crazy little system that we have, it's a three and a half barrel system. It's still a three and a half barrel system, which is pretty nuts to be 20 years in and a tiny little system like this, but you know, it works and accomplishes what we're trying to do. You mostly sell here, though, right? Like you don't, you you do some packaging every now and again, but it's not really wide distribution. Yeah, we pretty much try not to distribute too much. Yeah. But occasionally kegs go to, especially sour beer goes to uh, the Browers in Seattle and some Elizabeth Station and a few places around town. Mm-hmm. A few other breweries will put on beers here and there, you know, the local a little bit. And uh, Melvin's been doing some sour beers of ours. So what got you uh, interested into beer? What got me interested in it, I was, I think I was always kind of interested in it being around the light American lagers that my dad drank. And then my friends and family growing up commercial fishing in Alaska, that's my background. So in a tiny little fishing village with basically cheap beer everywhere, 
Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of always around and, and interesting to me, but I never liked it until pretty much when I moved down here, I discovered good beer and then got into brewing in about 95. I was 18 and started home brewing with some, with my bandmates in Colorado. Actually, I moved down to Seattle and then moved to Colorado for snowboarding and, and just started making beer because we were broke kids. And, and that was kind of the, kind of what got me into it. What parts of beer interest you? I mean, because you, you do sours here and stuff occasionally. Were you just trying to make a lager or a pale ale and didn't really explore the other styles that much when you wanted to start making beer? Oh, no. When I first started making beer way back then, it was generally big, rich stouts and things like that that are easy to get into because they're harder to screw up. And even if there are flaws and you're 18 years old, it's not really going to matter. You get a stout and you're going to enjoy it no matter what you made it. It's cool. But refining everything became like an obsession with yeast. I started baking. Like I got super nerdy into baking and brewing and then started, you know, really honing the the skills. And, and especially here, once I started here, I was only 22. So, you know, it was a long time ago. And I, you know, learned under the original owner British style brewing for the most part. And then I took it myself into just continual studying and getting into different beer styles and going in and out of being bored with not brewing, but, you know, just kind of the status quo of what, where I'm at. And then just taking it as far out as I can to get away from boredom mm-hmm. or, or just being stagnant. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I built a loggering system that's absolutely nuts to most, most brewers that see what I've built or, nothing here is standard could you describe that lagering system though like what's what's odd about it well it's a open fermentation for one thing most of the beers here are fermented in open fermentation style tanks which are completely retrofitted not brewing equipment Mm -hmm. there's a lot of old dairy stuff and and just things that you can make work if you get creative enough so i took this tank that was quarter inch stainless steel plate so it's incredibly thick most brewing tanks are way thinner gauge than that and jacketed so it has a full on what could be a glycol jacket so i tested it figured out how much liquid it held it holds 14 gallons so that's not that much and i took a beer line chiller a brand new bought a brand new beer line chiller which is about the cheapest little glycol recirculation unit you can get drilled a hole through the bottom of the reservoir in the chiller Ran a quarter, uh, what did I do? Three quarter inch line up through the bottom of it into the reservoir, which would normally get pumped out of the top towards the bar of a, for beer lines. Then recirculated it into a pump that this old broken Grunfoss pump that was given to me by Brian Hunt that owned, that runs Moonlight Brewing in Sonoma, California. He said, here, you want to use this old Grunfoss? And it wasn't going to work for product. So I, but I kept it anyway, just in case I, you know, for some weird project. And it works perfect because they're really expensive, really nice pumps. I hooked that in line and that pumps up into the jacket. So, so it, it's a way stronger pump than what comes with the, uh, the glycol chiller. And I jacketed the tank and in insulation and we have 50 degree groundwater. So I can chill the beer down to 50 degrees to pitch the, the lager yeast. And then I can maintain that temp with just this really basic unit as opposed to like knocking out in a regular brewery, bringing the beer down to town, pitching, you know, mm-hmm. and then having it maintained by a big fancy glycol system. So it's just this little tiny unit with a pretty badass pump on the bottom. And it's just recircling through this jacket <laughs> and it's loud and weird. And, and there's hoses going everywhere. And 
It's, it's super fun and it totally works. But so, it's obviously doing the job. Yeah, it totally did the job. Yeah. And then there's a probe on a Ranko controller that on the, that's on the wall down into the middle of the beer. So, I, it, in, you know, instead of having a probe from the jacket to your glycol system to turn on whatever style you've got, like pneumatic valves, it'll turn on and off. It's the same thing, but it's more of like a homebrew style Ranko controller that just turns on and off the glycol unit. So totally worked, but right. it just took a lot of sitting around scratching my head going, I wonder if I can, Hmm. And, and that's still in operation today. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I get yeast from Chuck and that's nice enough to give, give me their lager yeast. And I do, uh, that's some pretty nice yeast to get. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. Couldn't be any better. Yeah. So do you culture your own out here in, in just the kind of the wild environment? Cause like we're on the, we're on the highway out to uh, Mount Baker. Mm-hmm. And so we're pretty you're borderline wilderness out here. Oh um, yeah. So like, are you collecting yeast and harvesting that for uh, the brews that you're making out here? Absolutely. All? Yeah. I do a spontaneous fermentation. Probably about half the sour program is uh, with 13 barrels right now. And we kind of cycle in and out. We're getting new ones and, and getting rid of old ones or, or just building up. And uh, so of the 13 barrels, you know, that's over 600 gallons and I sell quite a lot of sour beer for a small little brewery like this. So about half of it is full spontaneous fermented. So I'm not like isolating the yeast, if that's what you mean, mm-hmm. like in a lab style setting. Yeah. I'm actually doing like creating traditional like lambic style wort and running it into a makeshift coal ship that I made, which is actually an old Mountain Dew tank. And one of the funniest things in the brewery, it actually says it's probably when Mountain Dew first started because it says it's just a stainless open tank, but it says Mountain Dew and one of those little stamped out things that they, you mm-hmm. remember those? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That stamped, like you adjust the letter. Mm-hmm. Like like a rotary phone thing. Yeah, almost. yeah exactly. Yeah. And it says Mountain Dew 250 gallons <laughs> in one of those stamped out things on the tank. And it's still there. I, I try not to disturb it. No, it's a, that's gr- my, it's a great artifact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. And it had a mixing, it had a big mixer in the bottom, looked like a a boat propeller then mm-hmm. we had a friend just cut it off and, and polish and buff out the tank. So now it's just a big open stainless tank. And I use that. I'll pull it into the, into the hot side here, the, the brew house, do the brew run, come into that hot, leave it overnight with the fan running exhaust fan pulling out. So it's pulling all the, the night air in. And then from there I run it the next day into a, closed fermenter and it undergoes the fermentation from whatever it collected from the air. And uh, I've had great success with that. So uh, how often are you brewing out here then? Right now we're so busy on brewing at capacity, just, which is, you know, four brews a week. Generally I can fill all the fermenters and then move everything. Having open fermentation, I got to go from open fermentation to closed secondary into conditioning, conditioning to bright tank where you carbonate bright tank transfer to serving tanks. So it's a whole lot of labor for each beer to, to go into those tanks and have them cleaned and sanitized and purged and all that. So it's quite a, a lot more work other than just the, the brewing side. It's a labor intensive situation. And what's your turnaround for that? Like when, what's, what's your time frame from brew to, to serve with all those steps in the process? Well, it depends on each, each beer, you know, most of the sour beers are between a year and three years. Mm-hmm. So that's all out in a cellar in barrels. And then they just, you know, I taste and rotate through that. The the standard beers, the British style beers, they're, and the Hefeweizen 
or the loggers, they all have different times, right? So we have ESB that's on all the time, and that's about a 16-day turnaround, so pretty quick. Hefeweizen's about can be about 12. So once once your secondary is done and it's cleaned itself up and you hit your final gravity, it's just a quick condition. And then servings, the wheat beers you want to get on as soon as possible. They're as fresh as possible. IPA, same thing. Turnaround's about 16 days on an IPA. And then we have barley wine on all, all the time. So with the exception of the one that I just put on, it's called Young American because it's a young, it's a triple IPA basically, but I called it Young American because it's our American style barley wine, but I just served it immediately. Yeah. Right. So that's been kind of a new fun thing as far as just like kind of educating the customers that are, because we have barley wine on all the time. So I have some really loyal barley wine people. Mm-hmm. So first off, it's going to bother those people because it's not aged and it doesn't pick up all those like dried fruit characteristics and the hops and bitterness falls away and it gets real nice and round. This thing's just like, bam, you know, just totally in your face with, I I dry hopped it, which I don't normally dry hop even American barley wine because it's kind of a waste. Yeah. And this thing is just like more hops than I've ever thrown at anything. And the response has been great. But of course, the the guys that want the, the raisiny British style barley wine are like, when's that coming back? You know, mm-hmm. and it's only been a few days. So oh, well. I'm like, well, we got a little while. So <laughs> yes. They last, yeah. they last a while. <laughs> What's the highest seller here then in terms IPA. of IPA? Oh yeah. Just like everybody else. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it, if okay. it says IPA, it's, it's blowing out the door. Right. So, okay. And then second, what, what's the second favorite then? Um, amongst the locals, the second would be scotch probably. And, uh, that's general, I'm on most of the winter mm-hmm. and, and I've put it on this summer also, right. but that, that's a pretty good one. Hefeweizen, of course, the wit, the wheat beers, depending on the seasons, you know, mm-hmm. the winter warmers go really good in the winter. Mm-hmm. I did a red for a long time and it started slowing down. So I called it red IPA. Right. And, uh, and I'm going to make another one of those because just because I wrote IPA, I did it just to see what happened. It was an experiment and right. it was totally ridiculous. Right. And all the people that liked the red before were like, yeah, I don't know, maybe you should go back to that. And then the, the people that didn't like the red before are like, I love this. And it's because it says IPA on it. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, do you get frustrated then as a brewer that everybody's just IPA obsessed and, um, you know, like how much convincing does it take to like have somebody try an ESB then, or just something completely different other than IPA, because that's all they know how to order. I don't think, I don't get frustrated. I know a lot of people that are frustrated by it. I get frustrated by people that complain like about, let's say chocolate when mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, but you know, they just, they're so known for these beers, but why don't they make more IPA or something? And it's like, you have any idea how special the beers are that they do make yeah they don't need they shouldn't even i mean I, they can do whatever they want but no, i mean that kolsch is amazing that, like, all their beers are amazing yeah. that frustrates yeah. me like crazy and i just want to strangle people that when they say that but as far as my situation here it doesn't bother me i mean i get tired of brewing ipa all the time because it's just kind of tedious mm-hmm. i wish the system was bigger so i could just brew a bunch of ipa and then focus on what i want to focus on mm-hmm. but I don't, I don't think it bothers me. It makes it funner when people do discover other things and they're like, oh, I just drink IPA all the time. Where's this ESB been forever? You know, and it's like, well, it's been on for 20 years. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, given the chance then, what what do you like to brew? I like to brew weird, like, things that I can hit the target of, mm-hmm. like uh, a pale ale that I envision and then it comes out the way that I want it. That's pretty much my favorite thing to drink is like... Dry, anything, dry beers, saisons, pale ales, dry stouts. I mean, all, all over the board, I just like 
beers that finish really low mm-hmm. and that are nice down in that range and you know everything's not jumping out and smashing any of the face right so even with the sours i'm having fun just putting so many kitchen sink ideas but getting them all to to round out to where you're not just smacked over the head with stuff so somebody starting out in home brewing and they have an interest in getting down the route of sours what would be some uh, advice you could give somebody of just something to really look out for and pay attention to when you're trying to make a really nice sour beer at home oh man if if you're already a home brewer and you know what you're doing with making ales and maybe lagers or i would i guess what i'm saying is i wouldn't recommend just starting brewing and only making sours, I guess you could, (laughs) you can do whatever you want. But I think that a lot of people take a beer and turn it into a sour beer. Like you have a pale ale that's been sitting forever, or maybe it's infected and then you make it into a sour beer. And I don't think that's anything anyone should learn. That's just like learning the wrong thing from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then you got to go back and understand how to build the recipe from the ground up. Right. So I think if you understand the process of, of making a, let's say a pale ale and getting it to where you want it and you hit what you were looking for in that beer, and then you're going to start understanding sour beer because sour brewing is kind of like you're making comp way more complicated decisions as far as the mash is concerned and the, the grist that you're going to put together. And how it's all going to work downstream is so much different than just pitching yeast and oxygen and having the thing end up, bam, there's my beer in 12 days mm-hmm. or 16 or whatever you're doing. You're going to look at where it's going to be in three weeks, where it's going to be in, in two months, what's going to happen to the protein. What's where, you know, is there going to be any mouthfeel in two years where you're going to pitch your different yeast strains? All that stuff is just way more complicated than normal brewing. So I would say get into nail your, your stout and your pale ale. And then if you're, but if you're a beginner and you just really want to be a sour brewer, get that figured out, at least get some chops there and then do a lot of research and learn how to design that, get your grist to where it's going to have mouthfeel downstream and not just be like a watery thing with, lactic acid in it and some off balance, crazy mess. <laughs> I don't know. I, that's a weird explanation, but or answer, but, but, but it, I mean, yeah, you still need to learn the basics before you go up to advanced skill. Right. So yeah, I yeah, know it makes, makes complete sense. I would say research. I mean, you're so lucky nowadays because when I first started doing sour brewing, there wasn't hardly anything that you could read, you know, and now you've got. And barely any breweries in the Pacific Northwest as well that we're doing it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's a very new thing for, you know, American brewing or, you know, almost anywhere other than Europe to mm-hmm. to have these styles of beer. And they're so special and they deserve respect and they deserve take some steps that you now have available to you to actually do the research and make it happen. Don't just make a beer and throw some lactic bacteria in it and hope that something's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. So if somebody was uh, to venture out here, what would be something that you'd wish they'd walk away with as an experience of trying your beers for the first time? Oh, that's excellent. My favorite thing about this place is the experience that people have, not just the, the beer, but just the, the, the place is a special place. And it, it, just the design of it and the, the bartenders and the, the experience that you get here. That, that's what I hope people take away. People like that love the North Fork. There's a, a reason it's not just the pizza. It's not just the beer. It's, it's like the experience of, of hanging out here. 
So I think that's super important. And I, re- I really appreciate that. And like that, that that's, I mean, I've been here for so long. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of that aspect of it, that it's a, it's a great place for people to meet people and, and or to bring their family, you know, and, and in that type of situation, I think is, is incredible to take away from here mm-hmm. to take away with, with the beer. I'm really proud of the diversity and that I, I feel like, you know, I feel happy with where they're all at. I don't feel that some beers are falling short here or there. And then I try to keep the, uh, I try to keep your experience. If you like Northwork beer, or if you've never been here to go away and say, wow, that, you know, I'm, I've had, I only have ESB when I go there and I had a sour beer on spent plum skins and I never thought I'd try that. And it was interesting. I liked it. That's fun. I like the variety and the, you know, the ability that I have to do that because it's such a small system. I can make out there stuff and, and put it out when I'm happy with it. Right. Who's inspiring you locally with uh, the beers that they're creating, um, to like help you like kind of like step up your game or, you know, just create different ideas of beer that you're making out here. Well, I'm inspired by the whole scene. We're Mm -hmm. a really tight community. Everybody gets along, everybody collaborates. Like we were mentioned chucking it earlier. I, Mm -hmm. I think we're so incredibly lucky to have a brewery that makes loggers that are that perfect and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So I'm always inspired by them. And, but really everybody locally is doing great stuff. There's nobody that's, it's, it's, the game is so tough right now because you have to make a good beers or you're not going to make it. Everybody locally is doing awesome. Mm-hmm. I just love getting to work with every single brewery. I mean, I, I can't really name one of them. Mm-hmm. I just did a collaboration with Colshin that was really fun. Mm-hmm. We made a 10% black sour and whiskey barrels and they brought the barrels out and we did the whole brew together. The whole crew came out. It was, that was, that was a blast. I can't wait to see how that turns out. And, uh, you know, I've done collaborations with Ben and Menace and, and Aslan and just, I'm inspired by the scene for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Just want to take another moment to thank Eric again for his time. Great beers out there when I was out there to visit, and no doubt there's still great beers out there today and in the future. So I'd say make a trip. Make a trip. It is worth the uh, drive out there, especially in the summertime. You can go up to Mount Baker. You can do some hiking or, you know, in the winter, go up skiing as well. And then on your way back, stop in for some pizza and some beer. Perfect combination. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. This is the Cascadia Beer Podcast, and we are supported by our members on Patreon. This is an independently produced podcast series, and you can support it for as little as a dollar an episode by going to patreon.com forward slash Cascadian beer. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with a friend. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it. Episode number 40. Thank you so much to those of you that have been here from the beginning. And if you're new, thanks for coming along. And if you want to catch up on previous episodes, you can by going to cascadian.beer or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to follow us on social media, you can. We're at facebook.com forward slash Cascadian Beer on Twitter at Cascadian Beer and on Instagram at Cascadian Beer Podcast. My name's Aaron. Thank you so much again for listening. And until next time, remember, support your local.